AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, February 28th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's reset the scene here with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the rivalry game between U of A and ASU from Tempe tonight. Who do you have, ATS, ASU plus 12 or U of A minus 12? And this is flipped now, U of A minus 12 out in front at 60, uh, 63% of the vote, ASU plus 12 at 37% of the vote. We will officially answer this question around 1230 today. Tossing it on over to X at KDUS AM 1060. Bob had a conversation with Ryan Young from Trojansports.com talking all things Caleb Williams and USC football. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. The question, should Caleb Williams be the first pick of the NFL draft in April? And no, has firmly held its position at 58.8% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 41.2%. That is another question that we'll officially answer today around 1230. If you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number, and we'll take your calls today around 1215. But first, let's get into college hoops from last night. You had BYU upsetting Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse 76-68. to It ended a 19-game home winning streak for Kansas. Kansas did uh, compete in this game without Kevin McCuller Jr., who has missed now five games with a bruised knee. And McCuller Jr. is uh, their best player. At one point, though, the Jayhawks were up 12, but with a 47-point second half, the BYU Cougars stormed back to win. Yeah, I might dispute uh, somewhat. In fact, I maybe dispute a little more than somewhat. I don't think McCullough is necessarily their best player. He is their leading scorer. He is the leading scorer in the Big 12. But, yeah, I think that, you know, Dick Dickinson and also the point guard, I think, are more important players to Kansas. But this was a surprising result, even with McCullough out. And also, you know, Timberlake got injured in this game, and maybe you know, you know, they he returned. But, you know, they have the, one of the thinnest rosters. They have no depth, basically. Even when everybody's healthy, they're like a six- or seven-man tops deep roster. And, uh, you know, they lost this game. BYU's been terrible on the road. So, to me, that was the biggest surprise of this game is really the BYU. When they win a road game in the Big 12, which has, I believe, only been two or three times this year, that's a surprise no matter who they're playing, let alone it's in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, Kansas, they were just 3 of 15 from 3 and uh, couldn't take advantage of the fact that BYU had 25 fouls called against them in this contest. They were 19 of 31 from the stripe. Yeah, um, they just they played bad. I, I didn't watch this game because it's on ESPN+. Plus, so I just saw some highlights after the game was over. 
Houston topped Cincinnati uh, 67-59, and then Kentucky here, they outlasted Mississippi State 91-89. Reed Shepard's runner with under a second left to play uh, is what secured the victory for the Wildcats. He also had 32 32 points, excuse me. This was after Mississippi State's Josh Hubbard tied it up at 89 with 11 seconds to go. Kentucky shot 55% from the floor. Mississippi State, 50 51.6% from the floor and 44% from three. This was a really high-level basketball game. You probably didn't like this game as much if you're into defense because there wasn't much of it. Uh, that's kind of Kentucky's uh, you know, staple for the season. Their defense has gotten better, uh, but Hubbard, uh, he's a freshman. He's a freshman, but he's like 5'10", and he's a freshman, and he's really good. And I think Mississippi State is really good. I've been saying for you know, a few weeks, unfortunately, now, that I don't know how many of these teams that are at the bottom of their conferences are going to make the NCAA tournament that I'm interested in betting on when we get to the first round of the NCAA tournament. Mississippi State is definitely a team I'm interested in betting on in the NCAA tournament in the early rounds, partly because of Hubbard, uh, but also because they've got three big physical inside players. Uh, long, They have length, they have Girth, they've got, you know, that the, usually that matters in the NCAA tournament. And the fact that they have depth, I think they have actually extremely well coached. Uh, this was a really fun game to watch. And uh, two teams that, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure how gutsy I'm going to be with Kentucky when we get to the tournament because we still see some ups and downs. But now it's at four games now. And they played them uh, three of them at a really high high level. The other one, they just basically played horribly and lost at LSU at the buzzer. Then we set up for some interesting action for tonight here. It's number 11, Auburn, at number 4, Tennessee, 5 p.m. on ESPN2. Auburn is 3-2 and two on the season against ranked teams. Overall, they have won five of their last seven. Tennessee has won four in a row, and they're 13-1 and one at home. Meanwhile, Auburn is 4-4 four and four on the road. Dalton connect, uh, connect here for Tennessee. He's obviously very good. 29.5 minutes per game, 20.1 points per game. Uh, then you also have, for Auburn, Johnny Broom, and Jalen Williams is a game-time decision. Yeah, well, I'd be shocked if if Williams is playing eight times soon. He got injured at the end of the Kentucky game two Saturdays ago. It looked like at the time a season-ending knee injury. Uh, they've said he. I don't think they've had it. I might have missed it yesterday because I was too busy watching worthless NFL combine interviews. My bad on that. I should have budgeted my time better, but I screwed that up. So I don't think they said anything yesterday about Williams' status, but. Uh, indefinite is the only word I've heard from the start of the, you know, when he went down that into that Kentucky game, there was no way you thought he was going to play the rest of the season. Uh, they've not ruled him out for the season to my knowledge, but, uh, and he's a, I think he's the most, most important player. I know, you know, statistically he's probably not, but I think he's their, he, the best guy. And Auburn has been pretty bad on the road in some games so far this season. They've only lost the Kentucky game at home. They've won every game by double digits when they have one at home going on the road has been an issue for them. So I think this is an interesting test uh, to see if they can hang in this game, quite frankly, against Tennessee. 
Uh, Providence at number five, Marquette, 5 p.m. as well on FS1. Providence beat Marquette in their last matchup, but now this is Marquette at home where they are 13-1 and on the season. First up, uh, do you believe Marquette is a complete team? No, they're not. I mean, I don't know if anybody in college basketball is a complete team, quite frankly, uh, but they're definitely not. Uh, they're, they're, you know, and I don't think, I think Providence is just not good. Uh, they lost their best player Brooks to the season, a season ending injury weeks ago. I believe it was even, it was either late December, early January. Uh, I would give, I'm, this is not going to be on my viewing schedule tonight at all, unless I see a score where Marquette's in some trouble losing the game. Seton Hall at number 12, Creighton. Creighton coming off the upset win over UConn, but then they lost to St. John's, so maybe now they're back to uh, level emotional playing ground right now um, for Creighton. How do you like how Seton Hall is currently playing? Uh, when they're healthy, and Richmond is one of the most important players, and actually, I'll, let me rephrase that. You know, we always have this argument about most valuable uh, he's one of the most valuable players in college basketball on any team. Uh, he's missed, unfortunately, several games this year. When he doesn't play, they're not good. When he has played, they've actually beaten they've already they've beaten Connecticut and Creighton already this year when he has played. He's really good. Uh, and not just because of the obvious, you know, points per game, et cetera. It make you know, the role players then become role players again, and those guys excel when they're not expected to be you know, star players because they're not good enough to do that. Number six, U of A is at ASU tonight, 8 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Obviously, we will get into this uh, when we answer the poll question more, more in depth. But Caleb Love, 32.3 minutes per game, 19.4 points per game, five rebounds and 3.3 assists per game. You know, he obviously gets the volumes. He gets the shots. He's the go-to playmaker. So I'm curious for you, uh, if it's in a situation where, you know, Caleb Love doesn't have the ball, who's... Who's, who else can be counted on to step up for the Wildcats? Is it Balo? Is it Larson? Who else uh, Who else makes sense for the Wildcats to to help out and be a supporting member for Caleb Love? It, Caleb Love should be a supporting member. This whole <laughs> offense should go through Larson all the time. He is by far a better offensive player as far as just all-around offensive player. He passes the ball more frequently. He gets to the rim, I think, actually better than Love. Uh, he doesn't shoot it as well as Love, but you know, Love has all these numbers because of frequency. And I mentioned this with Steve Rivera from you know, Tucson yesterday when we had him on the Sports Zone. Yeah, I understand that Love is going to win the Pac-12 Conference Player of the Year award. That's just the way that works. Uh, you know, best player and supposedly the best team. You know, but statistically, yeah, I think uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, you know, Larson is the most valuable player on the U of A team. And if the game's on the line, I want the ball in his hands. Unfortunately, that never seems to happen. And this goes back to my Tommy Lloyd into the game coaching situation, which has been a three-year problem now with different players. They never seem to have the, – they, they make dumb plays and low basketball IQ games – IQ plays, excuse me – at the end of games and close games, and this has literally been going on for three years now. They're great when they just can bludgeon teams and kill them like they did ASU the first time. 
end-of-game situations, they have sucked for three years. Joe Lenardi's ESPN Bracketology, uh, the top overall seed back to Purdue. Last four with buys are now Texas, Wake Forest, Nevada, and New Mexico. Anything stand out from those four? Okay, got to slow on this. Nevada got a big win last night at Colorado State. Buzzer I assume beer. they weren't. I, I assume they weren't in that situation. But Colorado State played as bad a game as they could possibly play. On the other side, though, you know Nevada's best player, you know Blackshear wasn't even playing. Uh, he was there in the building, but he was unable to play because of a leg injury. So that was a you know, very impressive performance for Nevada. I'm not exactly sure what I think of them. I like them when Blackshear is there because they got two really good guards, and they're a very experienced old team as college basketball standards go. So that was good. Uh, Texas, you mentioned in there, I assume they weren't in this tournament uh, until last night when they won by 100 points at Texas Tech. And I'm sorry, the other two teams were? Wake Forest and New Mexico. Wake Forest lost at Notre Dame last night. And Notre Dame actually it was horrible, and I mean horrible, at the start of the season. They've now won five out of six. Now, granted, the ACC is not exactly a murderer's row, but they've beaten a couple of decent teams. They won at home last night against Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest came off the you know, best win of the season for them, obviously, against Duke on Saturday in an extremely well-played game. And they just completely laid an egg last night two days later. Or three days later? You know, see, yesterday would have been Tuesday, right? Three days later. Uh, so that was a surprise to me that they just – and they were – they actually had a lead in that game to start with, so it wasn't like they just completely overlooked Notre Dame. They just got worse as the game continued. And uh, the fourth team, one more time. <laughs> New Mexico. This is why we need to go one at a time here. Uh, New Mexico, they're a weird team to me. I quite, I'm quite. i having a really difficult time figuring them out, uh, and partly because the Mountain West Conference is so good, but Air For- the Air Force, which is really bad, one of the worst teams in you know the so-called major conferences, Air Force won at New Mexico last Saturday. So I was confused about New Mexico before that game, and that game just you know, added to my high level of confusion. Uh, the last four in, first up, Seton Hall. Okay, catch it on here, Kayla. We're going one at a time. All right, good job. <laughs> um, I'm all in. We don't mention. We just talked about them. As long as Richmond's playing, they're a team I'm definitely interested in betting on in the first round of the tournament. Depending on unless it's just some kind of insane matchup, which I can't imagine it's going to be for them. Uh, you know, like seven versus seven ten or eight nine versus game. Uh, you know, I assume that that's. Uh, uh, I, I, the good news is we're going to get a little better idea, not just tonight with Seton Hall, but you know the conf- the, the Big East Conference tournament, uh, which will be kind of a quasi home game for them because it's in New York City. But you know Seton Hall, in, uh, New Jersey, getting to New York City is not a problem. Uh, Virginia is the next up in the last four in. I got no use for these guys. I mean, they've scored 40, 50 or plus point, 50 or fewer points in three of the last four games. Uh, you know, you can only, you know, Tony Bennett, Tony, Tony Bennett can only fake their way through this uh, so many, you know, so many times. And I'm, I'm, there is zero chance I would be betting on Virginia in any game in the NCAA tournament if they win a game or two. I'm just going to say, how the hell did they win that game and not even think about taking them in the next game. Uh, then you have Providence as the next team up. 
I get this. This is a, a so far of all the teams you've mentioned, this is the worst of them all. Uh, I just, you know, why? <laughs> Basically, because they got to take sixty-eight teams. Uh, and then finally, Gonzaga has uh, worked their way yeah. into the last four in. I get, I'm good with that, and for whatever reason. And I have no idea. And Mark Few's done a tremendous job for you know twenty some years as the head coach there, but I have no idea why for the first what two thirds of the season, uh, he basically seemingly changed his lineup all the time. Uh, it seemed like they were just you know, I don't know if he was just trying to find something or whatever. Uh, but since they've actually used the same starting five now here for a few games consecutively. They're playing much better. And, uh, you know, they won that game at Kentucky. And that Kentucky didn't play horrible in that game, by the way. They played okay. Uh, they won that game, and that was their first quad one win. Uh, and, you know, they're only going to get really an opportunity against St. Mary's in the regular season. Uh, they still play at St. Mary's maybe tomorrow night uh, at some point here soon. Um, they, and uh, they're going to hopefully play them in a conference tournament because uh, – that's really the only way I'll watch a West Coast Conference tournament game this year is if Gonzaga is playing St. Mary's because I'm not going to get anything out of that, uh, that, anything out of watching that tournament otherwise because nobody else from that conference has got a chance in hell of making the tournament unless they unfortunately would win the conference tournament. Spring training is here. Shohei Otani homered in his debut spring training Woo-hoo. game with the Dodgers. But on the other side of the break, we'll get into uh, the top five MLB managers that are on the hot seat to start 2024. This list coming from Jim Bowden of The Athletic. So we'll dive into that next right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point 1225 right here on KDUS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, February 28th. Before we get into the long-awaited uh, athletics, five MLB managers on the hot seat to start 2024. One more bit of college hoops news. Uh, good news for Kyle Filipowski in that uh, the knee injury sustained from the court storming appears not to be keeping him out of any contests uh, as he's set to uh, suit it up tonight against Louisville. But, Bob, uh, you know, Louisville's not very good. They're awful. Uh, you know, why would you even think about playing him in this game? I'm a little baffled. Uh, it's not like it's going to help or hurt his NFL, NBA draft standing of how he does against Louisville. Uh, so you know, I'm kind of baffled by this. Uh, but uh, whatever, good for him that he's be able to play. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't get it. On to. 
the much-anticipated here. We talked about it on Monday. Didn't have time, so we're going to get into it now here. Jim Bowden of The Athletics, five MLB managers on the hot seat to start 2024 here. First up on the list is John Snyder with the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have had the wild card berths in first in the first two years with him as manager, but you'd have to think that there's been some disappointment. Uh, the Blue Jays' starting rotation this year is going to be Kevin Gossman, Jose Barrios, Chris Bassett, Yusei Kikuchi, and Alec Manoa. I don't know if Alec Manoa is going to find it again, but uh, they have some stars. He didn't find it yesterday. He hit three batters in one <laughs> inning in his first spring training start. In one inning. I'd say that's not finding it, yeah. Uh, yeah. You also have some star position players, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and George Springer at your disposal. Well, two of those guys are amongst the most overrated players in baseball. Those would be Bichette and uh, Guerrero. I think they're good players. The fact that they're elite, uh, according to some, is a joke. Uh, you know, and, and Springer, believe it or not, you know, he played a lot for him. I mean, he, in his heyday in Houston, uh, used to be on the injured list at least once or twice a year. And he played a lot last year. You know, he, you know, he got older and got healthier, which is a little strange. Uh, so that's good. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm just completely stunned that Schneider is even back. Uh, he, I know he's been there for two seasons officially. I don't think he was there for the entire first year he was there when they fired the previous manager. They haven't had a good manager in Toronto for a long time. And I just uh, – you know, they, they were – um, uh, to many to many people, a disappointment last year. I didn't think they were going to be any good to start with, uh, and you know, I was not surprised that they got you know run out of the playoffs almost before it started. Uh, number two, uh, well, actually, I should make mention of this. Guess who's the team's bench coach? Don Mattingly. Yeah, well, we, I, God, God bless him. He's one of my favorite players ever. I didn't think he was a good manager when he was the manager in Miami. And I'm uh, not surprised that Miami seems to be much better managed last year after Schumacher took over for Mattingly. Number two on this list is someone that you brought up uh, on Monday's show, Oliver Marmol, uh, St. Louis Cardinals manager. In year one, 93-69, and 69, first place but eliminated in the wild card round. Year two, it was 71-91, and 91, last in the NL Central here. You had everything that happened with Wilson Contreras. You bring him in. He's going to be your catcher. Then he's not your catcher. Then here's your DH. Then he's back to being catcher. And I know that you um, – Maybe you have a bit of a different opinion than most of the media masses about Wilson Contreras and his, his no, actually, catching ability. I think, I, have, I think I have the same opinion. I mean, if anybody's ever watched him catch, he shouldn't be a catcher. <laughs> he is a horrible receiver. Even the most hardcore Cubs fan, I would assume, would say he's a terrible receiver. He can hit. Uh, he should have never been a catcher. It's amazing that they actually paid him what they paid him. Uh, they, this is a front office problem in St. Louis, more than a managerial problem. And the problem with, uh, you know, with the, the managerial problem is that the you know, Marmol should have never been hired, but basically he kisses the ass of the front office because he does everything analytically that the front office tells him to do. And that whole thing was a miserable failure last year. And he's back again because he kisses their ass. 
Well, another thing that was kind of a bit head-scratching as well was what they did with their young guy, Jordan Walker. Uh, he made the team, then he was sent down to the minors after 20 games, and then he returned in June, hitting 338, four home runs, and nine RBIs. I don't know if there was contract reasons for why they did that or not. No. But weird. No, I didn't. Yeah, I apologize. Maybe I didn't stress this enough last year. This wasn't weird at all. Uh, he, the man can't play a position. Uh, they already have a couple of DH type of guys on this roster. Once again, horribly constructed roster here by the front office. Uh, and uh, he can't play anywhere. Uh, and uh, he you know, didn't hit well enough to overcome that early in the season. So uh, you know, getting sent down was not terribly surprising. Uh, but you know, where is he going to play? I mean, there, there are, I've said this a million times the last couple of years. I've never seen, and I'm certain that there's never been, this many young players in baseball that can hit, that have no position to play when they're 20 years old. And I understand there's, you know, the DH now in high school and college or wherever. It is astonishing how there are too many players that are young and they're good hitters. They just can't play any position at a young part of their career. Any Number three on this list is Derek Shelton with the Pirates. Uh, year one for him, 19 and 41. Year two, 61 and 101. Year three, 62 and 100. Year four, 76 and 86. So maybe they're going in the right direction here. They added uh, Araldis Chapman to the bullpen. Mitch Keller signed his big deal. So maybe the Pirates can get to 500 this year. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised he's on this list. I think he's done a tremendous job of what he's had. Uh, and as you mentioned, he definitely got better last season. This is the worst division in baseball. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, they're going to have to add a little more to their roster, but I wouldn't be shocked if they actually won this division this year because really, other than Milwaukee, uh, I don't, you know, because it seems, you know, they're obviously, you know, didn't, keep Craig Council and they've let go some of their best players and I think they're going to let go a couple of more of their best players here before the trade deadline in July uh other than Milwaukee I think that pretty much anybody could win this division uh but you know I wouldn't be shocked if Pittsburgh were at least in the race and uh I, I I'm stunned that he's actually on this list Number four is Bud Black with the Rockies, uh, 59 and 103 last year. The Rockies have struggled to put together really a competitive pitching staff for some time. They're clearly rebuilding here, but the Rockies could decide to just turn to a younger manager with uh, stronger player development and analytics than Bud Black. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into the analytics, analytics part here, but you know, player development, you have to have players to develop. Actually, I think he's one of the best managers in baseball if you get, you know, take his whole history. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what's the man supposed to do? They have amongst the worst rosters in baseball. I think they're the second worst team in baseball uh, based on the roster. Only Oakland, in my opinion, is entering this season worse than the actual you know, group in Colorado. And we saw plenty of the Rockies last year. And I imagine anybody that just watched an occasional Rockies-Diamondbacks game probably said those guys are not good <laughs> and finally here on this list pedro griffel with the white Sox, 61 and 101 last season there were clubhouse issues last year he does have a good relationship with general manager chris uh, getz but getz wasn't the one who actually hired him that's true this is actually getz first year as the general manager 
This is like the third worst team in baseball, so I don't know what he's supposed to do. Uh, I don't think you know, last year they weren't good, and I don't think we got a very accurate assessment in a first-year manager and how good he is just based on uh, the mess that he inherited uh, as a first-year manager. And they're going to be worse this year. Uh, you know, they, they're some of the better players, which weren't very many, uh, are no longer on the roster this year. And uh, they've done a pretty much nothing to add to their already not good roster. Is there anyone on this list that wasn't on this list that you think should be on the list? Oh, I got to think that over. Well, you don't have uh, we don't have Gabe Kapler to kick around anymore. So nope. uh, not not off the top of my head. Um, I'll get. Can I get back to you? Well, we got we're gonna do the poll questions in the next segment. Give me ask me this question tomorrow. Okay. I'll make sure I think about it overnight or you know. I don't think about anything overnight. I just think about when do I have to get up. <laughs> so, but basically, uh, I'll, I'll consider it between now and tomorrow's extra point. How about that? All right. I'm writing it down right now. Anyone else that should yeah. have been on this yeah. list? I will do this, in fact, as soon as we're done today. I'll do that while I'm allegedly uh, having uh, some kind of lunch or late breakfast. Very good. Uh, a little hash browns maybe for you today, Bob? I don't know what I'm going to do, quite frankly, at this point. That's why I was kind of uh, vague on what I'm doing as far as food at the top of the hour. Uh, we, you mentioned it, though. We have poll questions, and they're coming up next right here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. It's time for poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question going back to the NFL. And, or no, actually, that's the, the X poll question. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's going to Tempe tonight on the hardwood between ASU and U of A. Who do you have tonight, ATS, ASU plus 12 or U of A minus 12? Uh, you can all do your own math here. I'm going U of A 83, ASU 74. That's 8374. I totally get that taking ASU plus the points can badly backfire quickly. Uh, it certainly backfired two weeks ago in Tucson, 105 to 60, uh, the game in Tucson. ASU, which has shot poorly much of the season, uh, shot poorly in that game. Uh, ASU, which is an awful rebounding team, was destroyed in the paint in that first game. ASU, which has actually seemed to, I think, quit in multiple road losses this year, definitely quit playing with any level of intensity once falling behind in that game in Tucson. Uh, ASU has also had multiple home games they've lost this year, but I think they're less likely to check it in tonight at home. Also, Perhaps, I think most importantly, 
the you know the U of A. Yeah, I know they had the surprising road sweep at Utah and Colorado, and nobody was more surprised about that than I. But they have lost conference road games at Stanford, um, Washington State, and Oregon State. Uh, I think that ASU will uh, have a full effort for tonight. And uh, the U of A outside of McHale, I don't trust him really against anybody. So I'll go ASU plus the points. And it's, you know, 12 is a good number, by the way. If you see a 12 out there, you should probably take it if you're interested in ASU. I have absolutely no idea, like, what ASU team is showing up tonight. Um, they lost 105-60 to 60 on February 17th. I get it that was that the game was in Tucson, but home court shouldn't have that much of a factor to be losing by that ridiculous margin. Um, U of A, though, is obviously a, a better team, but if ASU can show up with some energy, get U of A ruling a little bit, knock down some shots here, I could see ASU plus 12. It's it's easier to, to to take that many points as opposed to lay that many points. But uh, this is an absolute, I have no idea who ASU is, and therefore it makes it really impossible to try to figure out what's going to happen tonight. I understand that theory for sure. Uh, by the way, that 45-point uh, you know, margin, the largest uh, victory ever for the U of A against ASU. And the masses, though, have completely flipped. They are on the U of A minus 12 side of things to the tune of 75% of the vote. ASU plus 12 sitting at 25% of the vote. That's the KDOS1060.com poll question. Tossing it on over to X at KDOS AM 1060. Now, this is where we're going to the gridiron. Uh, Bob caught up with Ryan Young, Trojansports.com, for all things USC conversation as well as Caleb Williams. Should Caleb Williams be the first pick of the NFL draft in April, yes or no? And, I mean, when we're looking at the possibilities here, I don't think it should be Drake May. I don't think it should be Jaden Daniels. I don't think he's leapt over those two guys yet. So, when then you're, therefore, you're looking at other impactful players, I don't know if there's anyone else uh, that's clear in a way should be number one on this list. So, yeah, I don't think there's much intrigue or there will be much intrigue about who is going number one. I think the intrigue comes from, is it going to be the Bears? Is it going to be a trade? Uh, where does Caleb Williams and who does he end up playing for? But I think uh, the first overall pick uh, makes sense. Yeah, based on what you talked about with Ryan Pohl's comments at the Combine this week, uh, the Bears general manager, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any uh, you know, intrigue as to whether they're going to keep the pick uh, heading into the draft. They're, we're going to know one way or the other yeah. uh, what their situation's going to be. Yeah, I think the bottom line here for me is that Caleb Williams, You know, I'll start with this, he entered last season without a doubt as the overwhelming number one pick of the 2024 NFL draft. Um he did not have, there's no doubt, he did not have as good a season in 2023 as he did in 2022, but he might have had uh, the best Heisman Trophy senior uh, quarterback season, I should say, best Heisman Trophy season of anybody, quarterback or non-quarterback, in the last 20 years. I mean, he had an incredible season uh, the year that he won the Heisman. And uh, that's you know something that you know I think kind of got forgotten a little bit. I mean, almost nothing went wrong for him. Two years ago, there was a lot going on wrong for USC last year. He played with a far worse offensive line. Uh, the group of wide receivers wasn't as good. I don't think the group of running backs not as good. 
there was not as much a drop at running back, but there was a drop at wide receiver. And most importantly, the USC defense, incredibly, was actually worse in 2023 than it was in 2022. Maybe even, I think in some cases, far worse. Uh, and they had to play from behind in the scoreboard almost all the time. Um, they, 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 if you're on offense for USC, you, you probably thought you had to score a touchdown in every possession. The only game that I actually thought Williams last year had a bad game was at Notre Dame, and unfortunately for him, uh, I'm guessing uh, that the, the more eyeballs were on that game because it's USC and Notre Dame than any game he played. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really see that much of a difference uh, between the prior year. He just didn't make the wow plays, or they weren't in situations where he made game-ending winning plays because they weren't in that opportunity. He didn't, he didn't have that opportunity to do it. Also, just quickly in summer, summary here, you know, Williams, uh, he has far fewer questions than Jane Daniels, uh, who we'll discuss, by the way, tomorrow in some detail. Drake May, who I wouldn't even have as the third quarterback in the draft. Uh, he's the, I think that Williams is the best NFL prospect quarterback entering the draft since Andrew Luck. It would just be preposterous and I think stupid if whoever is picking first does not take him. The masses are in disagreement right now. They're on the no side of things at 58.8% of the vote. Well, they're preposterous and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And yes is sitting at 41.2%. This is over on X at KDOS AM 1060. I'm seeing this. And I I don't want the masses being the GM of my football team, my favorite football team. I don't want those people in, in charge. (laughs) Uh, I'm seeing this now that uh, it's the second year that the NFL players and the NFLPA conducted this survey about the teams. And this is where the Cardinals uh, ranked poorly last year. So there has been improvement this year uh, up up in the the rankings here from 27th this year to uh, compared to 31st last year. They break it down and they actually added a couple of different categories here. Head coach is now a new category and head coach Jonathan Gannon received an A minus grade. Uh, you have ownership also was added and they in ownership received an F, which was a 5.8 out of 10 from players when considering his willingness to invest in the facilities as it is though uh treatment of play of families is a d plus food cafeteria is a d nutrition dietitian is a c locker room is an f training room improved from an f to a c minus this year training staff is a b weight room is a c minus strength coaches c plus team travel c plus so uh that's where things stand this year Hopefully Jonathan Gannon doesn't eat at the facility then. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, though, receiving an A minus that, quote, is very willing to listen to the locker room and felt that Gannon is efficient with their time. Yeah, it's interesting uh, how you can base this on one season and 17 games. So good for him. I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying it's a. I think that's a, it would be difficult to assess anybody on one year for those things. Yeah, and it's also interesting, too, um, if players have been traded and how that sort of factors into everything. Um, so it, uh, apparently it administered from August 26th to November 16th of 2023. So every player that was on the roster at that period of time. 
We wrap it up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. KDOS AM 1060 and Bob, it's that time once again. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slip through the cracks. Also, our guest today, uh, we talked to Caleb Williams and USC football with Ryan Young from Trojan Sports. Got his assessment on Williams last year at USC. Also, uh, what he could uh, maybe. Uh, strengths and weaknesses heading into the NFL and talked uh, plenty of 2024 USC football with uh, with Ryan. Also tomorrow, by the way, at 10-15, uh, we'll kind of have the same routine with uh, regarding Jaden Daniels entering the NFL draft. We'll talk LSU football with Jefferson Powell. Sound of the day, courtesy of Fox, ESPN, and CBS. And uh, as always, thanks to uh, Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports with Dave Rooster Beerstein from 5 to 6. Then you have Top of the Valley, hosted by Jeff Munn with Coach A from ASU Women's Basketball tonight from 7 to 8 right here on KDUS AM 1060. Speaking of ASU, they're hosting U of A Men's Basketball tonight, 8 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. You know, this happened on Monday, but we didn't get a chance to mention it and discuss it here. Peter King announcing his retirement. Of course, he spent a lot of years with Monday Morning Quarterback with SI.com, then over with NBC for Football Morning in America. 27 years he was putting together those two publications coming into your inboxes on a Monday morning. Really, really extensive work that he would do to put all of that together. He said it was time. He had to force himself to be interested in this other than other things in the NFL besides training camps and games. He also used to do uh, going around to different training camps and having a unique viewpoint of all of that, too, which was really neat. He was on with Richard Deitch of The Athletic on his podcast. And among a couple of the different things he talked about, he said, quote, but I just don't think words are very profitable anymore. It's a sad thing, but that's happened to our business. Yeah, he didn't mention uh, meeting Bob Kemp and Glenn Flagstaff. So, okay, back in the day. <laughs> you Actually, know, I think I if, I, uh, if I go and I scrounge a little bit further, <laughs> I saw it in invisible yeah. ink. It was right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I did meet him in Flagstaff. Actually, I, I had him on my when I was doing syndicated radio. I had him on a couple of times in those days, but uh, – so I think he sort of maybe remembered me a little bit, but maybe not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, he would, uh, you know, when he was doing the training camp thing, I remember he'd do the, the West Coast teams first. So it was usually at the start of a couple of Cardinals training camps where he was at Flagstaff. 
Um, so that's certainly interesting that kind of an end of an era there for, for Peter King being a part of uh, the NFL for so long. Speaking of other media people, it looks like Ryan Clark is set to return to ESPN. Uh, Michael McCarthy. question yesterday we had. Yes. <laughs> I know you were busy yesterday. Y- yes. Uh, I'm so happy that he's coming. I, I, w- I thought he was gone. Uh, the Friday, the Friday on NFL Live, the Friday before the Super Bowl, he said goodbye to everybody. I thought he was going to break down, uh, so I thought he was gone. So he's by far, and I said this yesterday, and I you know probably didn't say this enough during the season. To me, he is the best NFL analyst on television, whether it's a studio guy, whether it's a game commentator analyst. He should be, I want him to do every game. I want him to talk about everything all the time. And pretty much everybody else is in second place. You know, I, I think it's NFL Live uh, that he does, and he's often on there, and with yeah. Marcus Spears and Laura Rutledge. Right. And they do, they have great chemistry together. Well, and well, Spears and you know, and, and Clark went to school together at LSU. Uh, so they were both recruited there by Nick Saban back in the day. Oh, I did not realize that Ryan Clark was yeah. on that LSU squad. Oh yeah, they've known each other forever, and they played together, and yeah, that was yeah. So they got a lot going on there. I I think Spears is actually very good too. I think and Laura Rutledge does a very good job on there. I'm not exactly sure sometimes what the hell Dan Orlovsky is saying, uh, but you know, three out of four ain't bad. Marcus Spears is pretty funny too. He is very funny. Well, so is Clark. I mean, he combines you know intelligence, humor. Just overall knowledge of football. Uh, that's why I think he's the best at what he does. But I like both. I like both of those guys. And like I think she does an excellent job of directing, you know, traffic, which is what a host should do. Uh, you know, you know, throws in an occasional little smart-ass remark, which I also appreciate. Uh, so, and I, I, she's actually been on vacation here the last couple couple days. Here, I noticed uh, not on this week. Uh, so hopefully. Uh, I don't think she's having another baby, right? Didn't she just have one? <laughs> so she can't be on maternity leave again. So. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, I think it's I think it's her that her daughter used to do this really cute thing where she would pick the whoever was going to win like the game of the weekend for college football with like helmets, and she'd okay. like do it in a variety of different ways. It was really cute um, to to watch watch that on like I think her Instagram or something like that. But anyway, she's a hard hard working lady between her college football stuff on Saturdays for SEC and then basically you know Monday through Friday for the most part on NFL Live. She works really hard. And does a really good job. Absolutely. Looking forward to being back with you tomorrow. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp gets us started at 10 a.m. in the extra point following suit from 11 to 1. Have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday, and we'll talk to you then.